It's good to see you. Um, before I go into prayer, I would just uh, like to say encouragement, if I can. Uh, keep doing what you guys are doing, uh, whether you're in Grace Kitchen, Young Lives. I hope the trip went well. Good. Um, thankful for uh, Josh and your team. It's spending time with the kids overnight at the warden's backyard. They all came back safely, the youth. Um, our faithfulness over a life produces, if God would so desire, a fruit. And sometimes in the midst of a, just the regular day-to-day activities, we forgot, forget the impact of staying faithful, um, showing up to a small group, coming to Sunday service and interacting with one another, singing and worship together. Those things over time build foundations for the hour of testing. And I trust that uh, as time and troubles occur, as it might question us whether these things are worth it, if I've done as well, stay faithful. And thank you guys for the youth investing. I remember being involved in youth and uh, questioning. I hope they get it. (laughs) Um, They're having a blast. I don't know where Josh is at, but... They're having a blast. Well done to your team and, uh, and for all those who are serving in this community. And as we come to the text this morning, I don't want any of us to forget what's essential. And Paul, after 10 chapters, he is about to turn the page. And he's going to get really, really practical. But it's not after grounding what we hope in in the theological convictions of who God is. And so I pray that you would pray with me that we wouldn't miss it. Let's pray. Lord, it's Paul who says in his letter to the churches in whom he hopes might be established in the faith. He hopes for their salvation, for his brethren, the Israelites, who have trusted in their own righteousness. He writes the letter to a church who has found their hope in Christ. He wants to strengthen them, not that they will, uh, are going to find themselves questioning it, but he wants them to find the strength in which is truly evident within Christ. For the day it will come, as he revealed in Romans 8, of attesting a trouble. And we all know when trouble comes our way, what we cling to is what we find our strength in. And here he is in the last part of this theological emphasis, Lord, I pray. He emphasizes some crucial facet to the Christian faith. And I pray, Lord, as we understand it this morning, we would be faithful to it, Lord, and that we find ourselves resting in it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter didn't, after this episode, didn't say before the Sanhedrin... The council, which found 70 other religious leaders, he found himself, just after doing a miracle, found himself in the middle of a room with a man who had been lame for 40 years. And when they asked him, by what power and by what authority and what name have you done this? Peter did not respond saying, God did it. In fact, the truth is, is God did do it, but Peter had to be 
specific. And he had to clarify. Man, the religious leader saw they were beside themselves. They literally, Luke records, they, they couldn't say anything. They were, they were dumbfounded. They passed this man for 40 years, lame. And now here he is in the middle of the council, standing. You know, nobody puts on an act for 40 years of not being able to walk to choose one day after 40 years at the gigs up. They passed him every day, gave tithes and gifts to him as they passed, but now he stands in his own strength. They were besides themselves. And so they ask, how did you do this, Peter? By what power and what name have you done this? And Peter doesn't say, God did it. He's specific. He says this in Acts 4, 10, 12. Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, by which became the chief cornerstone. And there is, no, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Peter doesn't say God did it. He does say that, but he says it specifically. He has to clarify. I recognize that Peter and Paul both know as Paul already has said in Romans 10 verse 2, I testify about them, the Jewish people. They have a zeal for God. He could have said, God did it. But he has to be specific because he has to help them realize whom he has placed his trust in and by whom this miraculous event had occurred. What I find interesting about Romans and the Gospels and the Scriptures, they're uniformed in their presentation about Christ. And when you watch the lives of Paul, Peter, James, John, and the Apostles, they're unashamed. You see this in Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. It is the power of God. By what authority, by what power, by what name, they ask Peter. And Paul himself finds himself unashamed. For it is the power of of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And they are specific. While they will affirm that God did it, they give a name to it. And he has to be clear. Paul and Peter are unified in this emphasis. Romans 10 becomes very specific. And we have seen it all along. But I wanted us to remind ourselves of this reality. When my wife and I were considering um, what to do after seminary, some of you know, but one of the things that we were considering to do was go into chaplaincy. I wanted to go into the Marines, but then I found that the Marines are under the Navy, and I was fearful that I could be a chaplain in a submarine. Um, But we still sat down with the Navy, and they talked to us as the recruiter as we sat, as we're trying to discern what God would want us to do with our lives. They gave us 
an idea of what life might be and how long I might be separated from family, the expectations of what it looks like to take care of the spiritual care of the soldiers who desperately need it at times. And so I uh, became some more increasingly excited about the reality and possibility. But as we got further along in some of the conversations, it became quite clear that there was an expectation for chaplains that I find myself not able to submit to. And one of them was this reality. When you pray, we, you pray to God. Like, I had to ask for clarification. Do you mean not like in Jesus' name? And they say, you can, you can do this. You can pray in Jesus' name, but don't expect any uh, promotions. And, and you'll face a lot of confrontation from superiors when you pray in the Lord's name. You know, the reality is, is I, I hesitated to tell that story because I don't want to give the perception that I don't uh, support our chaplains. I do. They do an incredible great job and a great work for the men that serve our country. But it came to the point for me and my wife that it was something that I couldn't submit to. There's something inside of me that recognizes that if you keep God general, we don't know what we're talking about. And the reality is, is when Peter's in the middle of the entire religious council with the man who has just walked up, he doesn't say God did it. He has to be specific because when he's specific, it causes the individual to either have to reject it or accept it. And Peter, along with Paul here, especially in Romans, is layering after layering. This is where everything rests on. You can read it as you read along with me, but you will see Christ's name show up over and over again on the basis by which man is saved. And here's my concern. Just like the nation of Israel was zealous for God, That zealous pursuit for God was inadequate for salvation. As the apostles taught, what is adequate for salvation is trusting in Jesus who is Lord. And we recognize this from the scriptures. This is how we pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Almost went King James on you, which is fine. But we pray knowing that we have access to the Father, which is built upon the theology of Paul by means of the one who's granted it, who is none other than the name Jesus Christ. On the basis of his work, we can say, our Father. And by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit within us, we have a mediator which proclaims the will of God to us. He actually helps fix our prayers. So that they are acceptable to the Father. And so while we pray, while we make requests of God, we have Christ Jesus giving us access. Because of Christ Jesus, we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who allows us to pray with humble spirits and with prayers that are acceptable to the Father. So everything rests on this reality. We have to be able to recognize where it's defined. Peter doesn't say God did it, nor should we just say God did it without clarification. Paul is going to rest everything on this reality. And I hope you can see it. Because here's the reality and here's the temptation that I find that we all could find ourselves in. Because when I lived in the South, 
I remember having a phone call with my pastor after serving here in Tri-Cities after a year. In the South, everyone will say, I'll pray for you. It's normal. In fact, if you want to invite somebody to church, they'll come. Everybody believes in God. I was talking to my pastor about this reality in the Pacific Northwest. That's not the case here. Well, actually, there's not a sense of shame when these people say, I don't, don't believe in God. My pastor said to me, man, that is refreshing. It's like, what do you mean? At least you know who's following Christ and who has not. I serve amongst the people where I do not know if they know Christ Jesus at times. Because people here have left God. Now, this is paraphrasing, generalized. Paul doesn't leave the Christian at that level. It rests on Christ Jesus and who he is. And there is a deficient perspective that if we just have a zeal for God, God will then somehow find favor on us and let us in. And Paul, and I'm going to walk through this really quick on the first point. This deficient perspective doesn't save anyone. Romans 10, verse 1, Brother, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for them, and it is for their salvation. Verse 2, I testify about them. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. They think they're doing what is required, but they are far off from the salvation required. Verse 3, The problem for not knowing about God's righteousness, not knowing that God's righteousness, the righteousness required for salvation is a gift. They seek to establish their own works. They do not submit themselves to the righteousness of God which is found in Christ. But for those in verse 4 who have found Christ Jesus, who have put their trust in Christ Jesus, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And he clarifies after 10 chapters, those who hope in Christ set aside any moral effort or many, any attempt to trust in the works of which they might find favor in God. They rest solely on him who's atoned for it, which is Christ. And so he reminds us as the reader that our hope is not in what we could do, but rather in what Christ has done. And he warns us really quickly in verse 5 that those who trust in their merit, or those in the Jewish culture who trust in the law for Moses' rights, that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. If you want to use Moses' law as the standard for your salvation, you're going to have to live by it. And if you choose to live by that righteousness, you're going to find yourself falling short. Because Paul has already clarified this. If you've been with us in Romans 9, 31, just a few verses earlier, Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. And so if you set for yourself this standard, your moral law will somehow bring you in right standing with God, you will have to live according to that reality. And therefore, on that basis, I desire his desire, his prayer to God is for their salvation. 
but they continue to trust and establish their own means of salvation. The truth of the matter is, as what we have seen for 10 chapters, Paul has labored to show that it doesn't matter what family you come from that produces salvation. That's the beginning of Romans 9. We have seen layered on over and over again, following the law of Moses doesn't save you. And then he hits us with this in verse 3, having a zeal, excuse me, verse 2, having a zeal for God, even that doesn't save you. There's only one thing that can save you. I live in a culture, you live in a culture, which I would say, even if they're not atheistic or agnostic, they would say there's a God and somehow maybe assume that we have to live rightly before that God. But even that, whatever that standard might be, even if those who have of traditions pursue a great tradition of merit to acquire the favor of the Lord, that zeal finds them falling short. You know, who else has a, a, a deep, uh, not necessarily appreciation for God, but a deep understanding of who God is? The demons. As James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, good job, you do well, the demons also believe, and they shudder. The reality is, is just having a zeal for God does not save you. Peter doesn't stand in the midst of the Sanhedrin, the religious council, and say, God did it. He's specific. Let it be known, is his first words. Let me be clear. Paul in his ministry, he's pursued by this individual who has a demon possessed, or this gal, this woman, had a demon possession. And Paul was going out in Acts 16, 17, following after Paul and us. She kept crying out, these men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. So demons get it. And yet we recognize and know they're not saved. I only merely mention this just to show that just having an idea of God or somehow trying to earn the favor of God, whether it's zealous or it's casual, that doesn't save you. Even if you think there's a God and you're good with Him, Paul's concern is still for your salvation if it isn't specific. Jesus Himself in His ministry Time after a time again, the demons who respect who God is fall prostrate on the ground asking for mercy. So let's be specific. As the scriptures are clear, when you're asked the question of where salvation rests, what will you say? Because there is only one true confession which saves you and saves those who are desperately lost, even if they have a zeal for God. When I moved here in 2013, I'm going to move to point two, the true confession. I grew up in a gospel-centered church, 
and reap the benefits of community that loved the gospel theologically, but then also loved it in its practice. I didn't find much, at least from my perception, from a kid to to my early 20s, of a congregation that rested in legalism and false expectations of how you might get to God by works. And I assumed over the years that uh, that was the case for all churches. Until I moved here to the Tri-Cities, this is not the case. I have found, after teaching at the local Christian college here, and even ministering here, there is a deep zeal for God, even of legalism, that has found itself into some Christian communities. And Paul writes these things knowing that this is not just something that the early church was going to deal with, but all generations is salvation genuinely, truly in one person. He presses against the reality you cannot seek your own means of finding righteousness before God. And he puts before us, and it's a great reminder for me, for you, knowing where we live to proclaim the true confession of what saves, which is Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. And we know that those who do so fall short of it. Verse 6. Now follow along with me. But the righteousness based on faith, it speaks a specific way. I going to say this in three ways or two ways. The righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. It does not say in your heart, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Suggesting or arguing as like we the ones who have faith in Christ as the means for righteousness and right standing with God do not say who will ascend to heaven by our works and our efforts as if God Christ did not come down incarnate Himself among the earth and live among us in perfect righteousness. Righteous faith doesn't speak like this, nor does it speak like in verse seven, who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead or to suggest that Christ himself did not go to the abyss and not raise himself up. Christians believe that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. The eternal image of God and sending his one and only son lived amongst us in perfect righteousness And his perfect righteousness was declared over and over, not just by a prophet, but by his power and authority, cleansing the sick, healing the lame, raising the dead, even the Father rolling back the heavens, declaring to those who were there, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Those who have found righteousness based on faith do not speak who will ascend to heaven as though Christ has not been brought down. He has done these things. And Christ taught in plain ways to his disciple, Behold, I go to Jerusalem. And when I go to Jerusalem, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are going to kill and crucify me. 
He would not believe, but he did go to Jerusalem, die, and three days resurrect. Those of the faith who found righteousness by faith, they do not say in their heart, who will descend to the abyss, because Christ has done it. What is there for you to do that is of equal character? The true confession trusts in this reality. God sent His only Son. He he has incarnationally dwelled amongst humanity, displaying and teaching humanity what is necessary for salvation. And he satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. And on the cross, when that was atoned, into the ground he was buried, and up he rose from the grave. In which he turns in verse 8. But what does it say? What does righteous faith say? Righteous faith says these things. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. The truth of the matter is this. Oh, what a, what a rich thing to remind ourselves in. Salvation by faith, one, is not impossible. For none of us could reach into the heavens to earn the Father in heaven. Why? As we see in Romans chapters 1 and 2 and 3, we don't even pursue God. And through merits and works, you cannot acquire the favor of God. It's not impossible because one has come. Two, it's within reach. What he says in verse 8, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's right there. That is... Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. This statement of Paul is excellent. What we know and what we have come to enjoy, if you read the scriptures throughout all of the pages of God's word, is this reality. Salvation is only from the Lord. Paul is saying something here. He's being very specific. And for a Jewish audience who's trying to wrestle with who Jesus is, he's just hit them with something that they have theologically have not come to realize yet. Jonah in 2.9, when he finds himself in the belly of the fish, he proclaims, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. The psalmist of 3.8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Isaiah 43.11. I, even I, am the Lord. And there is no Savior beside me. Isaiah 45, 21, declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. 
there is none except me. The Old Testament, as it's always proclaimed, salvation belongs to the Lord. It rests in no other individual. And this is helpful for us as we've gone through the book of Romans. If salvation exists from the Lord, we can't acquire it by our own power. And this is why he has said, you can't trust in what family you're from. You can't trust in the law of Moses. You can't trust even if you have a zeal for God. Salvation is a gift from the Lord that he gives to those in which he has saved, which is received by faith. And as the Old Testament has proclaimed, salvation belongs to the Lord. We recognize as a human being, we often try to protect ourselves. We've done pretty good at protecting ourselves from other countries or those in her neighborhood, but we're not talking about salvation from God. When salvation, when we talk about salvation of God, the Old Testament has proclaimed, just as the New Testament, that the mere presence of the Lord causes the mountains to melt like wax. It says in the Old Testament that when the Lord speaks, he can strip the forest bare. So when we talk about salvation and we recognize the power of God, we're talking about we need a whole lot of salvation that human strength could not obtain. And we ourselves who have found ourselves falling short of the standard of God, found ourselves before his wrath, we see the grace of God being displayed in Christ. The salvation which you desperately need is not impossible, it's not far from you. But it is found in one person who is Lord. Because salvation comes from the Lord. And so what has he done? Now I know some of your translations. It might say that if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus. For some reason, some translations put it in the oppositional position. But it's in the object complement position. And Paul's trying to persuade us on who Jesus is. He is essentially saying, no, what he is saying is Jesus is Yahweh. He is the one who has been revealing himself to you throughout all time. He is Yahweh. He is getting very specific. Just like Peter, by what authority, by what name have you done this? Let it be known, Jesus. And this is said elsewhere. As you can look and you can see in Philippians 2, 9 and 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him, Christ. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Salvation only comes from the Lord. And Paul, Peter, the apostles are being specific. Having a zeal for God is not specific enough. Who's Lord? Jesus. Disciples came to know this even in their pursuits of Christ and discipleship. During the life of Christ, Matthew 14, 
Remember the situation where they were out in the waves and the storm? Jesus is not with them. Terrified about losing their life. The fourth watch of the night, Matthew 14, 25. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. That's crazy. Mere man does not walk on water. So when the disciples saw him walking on the water, on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, which is a good conclusion, honestly. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Notice, I want you to notice Peter's response. Translation is I am, right? So, it is I. It is I. Peter's response is, teacher? No, that's not what he says. He doesn't know who he is as walking on the water yet. Right? Jesus spoke to them, and Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter, seeing Jesus, got out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus, But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out in desperate need for salvation. Lord, because where does salvation come from? The Lord, save me. You can read it throughout the Gospels. You can read it throughout the Epistles. John 13, 13. You you call me teacher. Ah. How the world would love it if you would stop there. And Lord. And you are right, for so I am. It's right there. The word is near you. And in your mouth and in your heart. The means for salvation is right there. You don't have to do anything for it. It's based on this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not impossible. It's right there. The means by which you can have right standing with God is based on this belief on who Christ Jesus is. And so Peter, when he says before the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders who continue to trust in the law, let it be known to all of you, Acts 4.10, let me be specific to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, these things take place. And for those of us who want, as Paul desires for us to be established in Christ, it's not from what family you're from, it's not what religious tradition you follow, it's not even your zeal for God, it's specific. Who do you say Christ Jesus is? Is he Lord? Is he Yahweh? Is he God? And the world will love you to keep him as teacher, as prophet, moral instructor, Paul 
with the apostles doesn't go there. For with the heart, verse 10, a person believes, resulting, there it is, in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Look what he does. Now he goes Old Testament on them. If Jesus is Lord, just as the scriptures say, whoever believes in him who is Lord will not be disappointed. Verse 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who is Jesus? He is Lord. And this is where our hope rests on. Point three. If that were not enough, there is a deficient perspective of God that provides no salvation. There is a true confession which produces salvation. And this true confession is not narrow. It's available for all. Look at verse 12. There is no distinction. None. Between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Abounding in riches for all who call on him. Praise God. That he saves those who are far from him. His patience is great to the Jew and to the Greek. Whether you live in Tri-Cities, Jerusalem or Afghanistan. His offer is available for all who understand whom his son is and whom his son is who is Lord. I don't know how much more specific we can get than that. But here's the test and the challenge for each and every single one of us. And you'll find it in the coffee shop, you'll find it in the workplace. By what authority give salvation? By what name give salvation. And there is something within us where we can say, we want to find ourselves comfortable. Well, it's God. Peter, Paul, James, the apostles, Christ himself, I am the way, the truth, and the vine. No one gets to the Father except through me. You get Jesus wrong, that's it. You're establishing your own righteousness. Christ being the righteousness of God has atoned for our sins. If we don't get people to come into Christ and to know Christ, what hope do they have? Because there is no other salvation outside the Lord. And the beauty of this reality is, is God's grace is given to everyone, Jew and Greek. Paul's going to go on later and say, It's given to the free and the slave, the rich and the poor, the young and the old. You could have lived your life in total rebellion against God. Didn't even give him a thought. Isn't that crazy that God would be gracious to you? That he would still give you the chance to receive this by faith. And to the child who is who has come to know who God is. I, I came to this conclusion at four years old. How does a four-year-old come to this conclusion? I don't know, but by the grace of God. 
So it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Greek, a slave, or free, rich or poor, young or old. This offer is not impossible. It is near on the basis of faith. And so let me remind you, as Paul is going to put this aside and he's going to turn to Israel and what God is going to do with them here soon in chapter 11. But let me remind you, for God so loved you, he loved you, as Roman 8 has already said, he foreknew you, he predestined you, he wanted you to hear the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. His son, Jesus Christ, did the work for you. He lived the perfect life. He entered into the midst of a corrupt world. He made himself plain, obvious, and we rebelled against God's appointed son. And our people, humanity, killed him unrighteously. But God, being rich in grace, demonstrated his love towards you, even though while you were sinners, while you were godless, while you were enemies of him, provide you the means to have a right relationship with him in Christ Jesus. And the means by which you can have that righteousness is not on the basis of your work, but on the basis of Christ. And if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He is the gift of heaven for my salvation. He is the one whom all nations will have to bow the knee before that he is my Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have, if you have trusted yourself to that, you will not be disappointed. Even the hours of trouble that we find ourselves in. And eternity now granted for those who have responded to the Son rightly, you will not be disappointed. Here comes the warning. If you heard this message of God's grace given towards you, and you do not say, He is Lord, let me read for you Romans 2. God will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and mortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey rather unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There's no partiality with God everyone will receive his just response for refusing his grace, which is realized in Christ. And I warn you, I plead with you, as scriptures clear, clarify, there is no other salvation except for found in the Lord, which is Jesus Christ. So what are you waiting for? Finally, we have it set on the building reliance, right? Now a little phrase that sends down by the doors, inviting people to impact their communities for Christ Jesus. How is that done? By bringing him, bringing people to him, by proclaiming him as Lord. 
I found myself working in a workplace for eight years. And I found myself, after leaving that place, disappointed not taking more opportunities when given to speak clearly. You guys go in places that I could never go. Some places you won't, they won't even let me in because they don't have the badge or the card, right? It's probably wise. But you get to go there. Some of you guys go into hospitals. Some of you go into landscaping, into farm communities. Some of you guys go into classrooms. You guys go into some incredible places. And you will be given opportunities. What will you say? I hope it's this. Show them the hope. It's not impossible. It's not far off. It's based on Christ Jesus, who is Lord. And be faithful ambassadors of Christ Jesus when given the opportunity. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray, as we have understand how specific Paul has been, and Peter, and James, and John, and all the apostles, including your son, Jesus Christ, that we would not falter. I think in some ways these words have been, as Paul had already said, to strengthen us. We have put our faith in the right individual. As many might trust in leadership, or some might trust in other means of acquiring right, right standing with you, we have trusted in Christ Jesus. As Paul has already declared, those who trust in Christ Jesus will not be disappointed. And praise God that is true. If there are anyone here, Lord, that has not come to respond to Christ Jesus as Lord, would you, by your grace, make yourself available to them in profound ways that they would not hesitate any longer and say and respond with the confession that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you sent your one and only Son He died for our sins and he raised again from the grave. And resulting in that confession, find salvation. And Lord, as we conclude our service and worship, Lord, as we go forth into our families, schools, workplaces, and wherever you might have us placed in this community, let us be faithful to pronounce that truth, confession to wherever you might send.